I had a dream last night. Really, it was this morning, I suppose. In this dream, I was standing in what felt like my backyard, but like, you know how dreams are sometimes, it doesn't look exactly like your yard. Um, But it felt like my yard. I recognized it as my backyard. Um, I was there with my father, and we were just standing out back. And I don't know what we were doing, whatever. But I I noticed this plane in the distance. And if if you know, around here every now and then you get these these planes that uh, are are these old refurbished planes, you know, World War II planes. And it was one of those. And I, oh, that's really cool. And, it, it, you know, kind of in a distance, but it was flying really low, which that's not surprising around where we live because, you know, there's not an airport very far from us um, that's all these private planes and stuff. So it, that didn't strike me as odd. Um, but I'm watching that and... And then I'm watching it come around. It was at a distance, but it, it starts angling and coming closer and closer and closer. And it, it's coming toward our our house or the, or the backyard where I was and starts to get really low. And I'm noticing this thing is flying really slow. So so on one hand, I'm in awe of, because I love, I love old World War II stuff, um, I'm in awe of how this plane has been refurbished because it was it was perfect. It was a World War II dive bomber. If if you uh, um, if you remember, everybody has seen movies about Pearl Harbor, right? Those torpedo bombers were the double cage bombers, okay? And that's what this was. Although it didn't have any insignia insignia on it, so it didn't represent a country or anything like that. But it was in pristine condition. Um, it was a, like, a, like a light gray, and it was just beautiful. But it was flying really slow, and it was coming toward us. And I, that just kind of caught my, caught my eye in this dream. And so I, I get my dad's attention. We're watching this. And, and it's coming, and now it's getting really low. And I mean like, like under 100 feet low. And I'm thinking, this thing's going to crash. This thing's going to crash, and my my house is behind me, and I'm watching this go right like that, just right past me, and gets past on the other side of the house where where the house kind of blocks it, and and then I, I'm thinking it's it's going to crash, it's going to crash right over our house, right in the neighbor's neighbor's yard or whatever, and and then I hear this this engine kind of crank up a little bit. And then I start to see it turn. And it turns and it comes back and it flies right over our house. And now, I mean, it's literally, it barely misses the top of the house. And, and I'm thinking, oh no, this is going to crash in my yard. And, and it comes down and it goes over my head and goes to the corner of the yard, which was, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred feet away. And, and it lands, but it doesn't crash. It lands like a helicopter, which was weird to me. Not like it hovered and went straight down, but it, it just like landed soft, no crash, no anything else. And I, I'm just looking at this thing in amazement. And so I run over to it and, and I, I'm just, you know, I know it wasn't a crash, but I'm going to make sure everything was okay because 
it shouldn't be in my backyard. Okay, I'm running over to this thing, and all of a sudden the canopy gets opened up. This guy gets out, and I won't describe him, but but there was a very specific description in my dream. I didn't recognize him, but that part I'm going to hold on to. But he gets out, jumps out on the wing, and I see him pull out a pistol. And immediately I turned to my dad and I said, he's got a gun, and I run the other direction. And just as I'm turning to run, then I wake up. I thought, what was that? What was that? First of all, that was really a cool plane, but but what was that, Lord? I don't know what that was. And so I I began talking to him about it and praying about it, and he gave me an interpretation. And and I'll be curious, you guys could talk to me afterwards, see if you get this same thing. But but what he told me was that plane was a ministry, but it was a very specific ministry. It was a ministry that had been established a long time ago. It was a, a very mature ministry. I got the impression it was a church. It was not a small church, it was a big church. It was well known. And it had no business where we were. But it came after us. It came after Ignition. And it came after me. I say this because you can't be surprised by what we're going into. Okay, the warfare that we're going into, it's just like the dream God gave me last week or week and a half ago where Jesus was driving the car and we're, we're about a hundred yards off the coast in the biggest part of the waves. And we're in this car. Jesus is driving. I'm sitting in the back seat with the window rolled down and waves are just going over us, not touching us. Right? And, and if you recall from last week, Jesus what he told me was that he will keep us in the midst of this warfare because that's where we need to be. Not that we need to be on shore and not that we need to be further out where the waves are calm. But as long as he's driving, we need to be where he has us to be. And he, as, as long as I have breath in my lungs, he will be driving. Please, Lord, if I ever try and take that back, Take it from me in Jesus' name. I want you driving. So, in this thought process of warfare, don't be surprised what's about to happen. Don't be surprised that as things open up, and we always talk about that first domino to fall, right? We know that first domino to fall is Carson's healing. And I know that is coming. Very quickly. I won't even use the word soon. (laughs) That's a bad word in ignition. (laughs) We don't use that word soon, but it's coming. And when that domino falls, and the Lord has shown me that. He has shown me everything about it, except for the wind. But when that falls, there begins a process of cascading that, that changes everything very quickly. And we think that our enemy is the world, right? I mean, that would be the natural thought process of who is the enemy of the church. Ultimately, we know it's Satan, right? 
But who is the enemy of the church? You would think it's the world. You would think it's those people who are not saved. You would think it's, it's people outside the walls of the church. And what I'm here to tell you is that that's absolutely false. They're the harvest field. The enemy is within the bride. The enemy is hidden very well within the bride. Every night on the prayer call, this is one thing we pray for every night. We pray for an exposure. Exposure of the bride. Exposure of sin. Exposure of corruption. <laughs> I got a kick out of this. Friday night, you know, I, I, I prayed Friday night was one of the prayers I think I closed. And, and, you know, I prayed again, Father, just bring a transparency to the bride. Expose sin. Expose hidden sin. Expose those hidden safeguards that Satan has that nobody knows about. Expose it, God. And, and Jeff, Saturday morning, he sends me this text, and he, he said, you got, you got to see this article. He said, it, it happened yesterday. It happened last night. Because I even asked him when it was, and, and he said, well, I don't know. It, it was Friday. But then he sent me the article, and it was, it was in the evening that this happened. But this article talks about this church in Houston, Texas. It's a Word of Life church. I don't know how big the church was. Uh, I didn't say, although I'm assuming their income was pretty good. <laughs> You'll know why in a second. But they had a fire, okay? And, and they get a call from this person who gets locked in the basement because they had electronic locks. And, and I guess when the fire happened, it just, everything locked up automatically and they're sitting in the basement and there's this fire going on. They call the fire department. Fire department comes, puts out the fire, unlocks the basement only to find a hundred illegal gambling machines in the basement. This is a church, guys. Now, I, it, the article didn't say it was set up like a gambling house, so I don't know if that was the case, but they were certainly selling the machines if that wasn't the case. I mean, they, it was not legal for them to have this. It was probably very profitable. So, who exposed that? The Lord. If Satan thinks that he can hide under the, the guise of, of distraction or under the, the guise of this veil, he's sorely mistaken. Because all it takes is for a remnant of the bride to wake up. And she has. She has. It just takes that remnant that is so focused on, Lord, do your will. And, and by the way, God, here's your will. You say in the word, I'm reminding you, Isaiah 43, I'm reminding you of your will. Your will is that your bride is not corrupt. So expose, 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 expose in our government, expose in our churches. Now, what do you think is going to happen when this starts to happen on a grand scale? What do you think is going to happen, wow, the Lord just told me who it was. Okay, that makes sense. What do you think, sorry, <laughs> having a little conversation here. 
What do you think will happen when you start stepping on the toes of ministries that make a lot of money and that rely on that money and it's a cash cow for them? You think you're going to make enemies? You better believe you're going to make enemies. You think that, well, that just means these people are not saved. Don't kid yourself. Most of the bride is under the worship of money, whether they may say it or not. Because money is what stops them from doing stuff. Money is what makes them do stuff. How many times do you go into a small church and it's run kind of by a family that donates a lot of money or a ministry? All the time. You know, sadly, where the Bible says you cannot serve two masters and it points out God and money. Did that for a reason. Why? Because the church is prone to serving money. We can't do this because we don't have the money. God never said that. In fact, all God ever said was, I have the money. I just want you to do what I say. I just want you to do it because I've told you to do it. And by the way, if I tell you to do something, not Greg, I'm saying God is saying this. If God tells us to do something, he promises to give us everything we need to do it with. Right? So don't be surprised if that warfare comes from within the church. Because it will. It's going to. It's going to come from people that you know, people that you love. And it's going to be difficult. But recognize something. That as they are saved, as they know the Lord, they have allowed a veil to be placed over their eyes, over their ears. So they cannot see and they cannot hear. So who you're really fighting for is them. They may think you're fighting against them, but you're really fighting for them. For that awakening of understanding who God is. So the real thing that we're going to talk about today is this idea of what kills the church from within. And sadly... That happens all too easily. There's a spirit that is at work within the church. And this isn't the only spirit by far. But this is a church-killing spirit. And we it's a very generic term. We've all heard this Jezebel spirit, right? We've all heard that. We've all talked about it. What does that mean? Well, I don't know. If you ask ten Christians what the Jezebel spirit is, you're probably going to get ten different answers. At least nine. <laughs> but what is truly the Jezebel spirit? You know, there, there are many, to, and this, Alexa and I are going to do this together, and, and there are many factors of what a Jezebel spirit is. But what I want to lay out here just for the few, first couple of minutes is the effects of. 
The effects of when a church tolerates it. The effects of when a church allows it knowingly. Allows it. Which, by the way, allowing yourself to just be deceived, that doesn't count for not knowing. Right? The Lord gives us discernment. You still got to reach out and take it. You still have to apply it. If, if I, if I ever were to choose to go with something because the money's there versus go with what God has, immediately a spirit of deception will have authority in my life. Do you see how easy it is? For a pastor or leadership of a ministry to fall into that. Because everything, I mean, I mean, think about it. Everything circles around money in this world. Everything. You can't live without it. I mean, unless you grow stuff and you barter, I suppose. But even that's a form of money. Right? Everything circles around this outside need to get stuff. We, our lives depend on it. And what God wants us to recognize is that he's the one with the stuff. <laughs> he's the one with the money. He's the one with the provision. So if we just point toward him, if we just keep our eyes locked on him, he can take care of the other stuff. But what happens in ministry is we go into it and we say, well, I know I'm called of you, Lord. I know I need to do this, God. So because I need to do this, and because that needs to happen, here's what I need to do to put it into place. And, and i got to tell you, I was the same way. I mean, I thought for sure we'd be in a building within three months of, of starting this church. And if we would have had my way, we would have been. We would have been. Because it wouldn't have been hard to raise the money. I could have kept a part-time job. We could have raised the money and could have started in a, in a little church and, and then, and then built up this, you know, let's get a good praise team, good sound, good sound system, everybody, you know, give everybody a nice time when they come. Yeah, and, 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 and by the way, I'm not downing the fact that it was, it was always on my heart to pour the Lord into them. So it wasn't like it was a thought process of, I'll give them a little bit of the Lord so they get that too. It wasn't that. I was passionate. I was just wanting more people to hear. And God, more people can't hear if we're not in a building. So, so I could have made the choice to manipulate that very easily. Very easily. In fact, the first time that this church had the attempt to infiltrate with this Jezebel spirit was for that very thing. It was to push us toward getting in a building. And thankfully, the Lord was very clear to me, even, even despite all the desire and all the opposition and everything else, He was very clear to me, you don't need to be in a building. Now, I truly, I truly thought we would by now, except for the fact that once I said, your way, Lord, it became so clear to me why we were still here. In this training ground, I, I won't dovetail off into that, but the point is that we can take things into our own hands or we can let God do it. What Satan tries to do is send this Jezebel spirit 
among others, into a church to try to disrupt what God is doing there. To to literally get our minds focused on what we do as people instead of allowing God to do what he does, which is extraordinary. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 2. And I'm just going to read the letter to the church in Thyatira. Revelation 2 verse 18 says this, And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like the flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first, which means they had growth in the Lord. They loved the Lord. They grew in their love for the Lord. Verse 20, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, let me stop there for one second. Okay? Because I want to warn you against myopic thinking here. Okay? That, that, oh, well, wait a second. They, they let this woman in that is just having affairs all over the place and and getting them all to to be sexually immoral. No, that's not what it's saying. That's that's perhaps a portion of what she does. But recognize first of all it's not a she, it's an it. Right? This is a spirit. This is neither male nor female. You will see the Jezebel spirit in both. But what this was was a tolerance of letting this spirit not only have access in the church, but take leadership roles in the church. That's what's going on here. It's not, I mean, the the sexual immorality was just one portion, just one, which Alexis is going to go over here in a few minutes, but that was just one portion of what she did. Even one of the smaller portions. So, so understand it's talking about letting this spirit lead a physical person, okay, who is a Christian, or quite possibly a, a saved person, letting them into places of leadership. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and will give, and I will give each of you according to your works. Wow. Guys, he's talking to saved people here. I will give each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give the authority over the nations. 
and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Back up here a second to verse 24. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, recognize that this spirit of Jezebel is a spirit that infiltrates. And this is one of the core uses of Satan. Which would make sense because it's the very thing designed to bring down the bride. We've talked about it a million times that the bride before Jesus comes back must be readied. So Satan has devised this tool, this spirit, that this spirit's only reason for existence is to infiltrate the church, to destroy pastors, to destroy leadership, and ultimately destroy the church so the church cannot be readied. See, Satan doesn't want Jesus to come back. He certainly doesn't want the bride to be readied. So we're going to talk about this, this spirit. And Alexis, come on up. We're going to talk about this spirit and some of the attributes of this as well. Uh, well, first of all, I want to make sure we make a broader application of it is the church, but don't forget you and me, we are the church. Okay, so this is not just applied corporately. This is actually applied to your life. You know, everyone, every one of us has a sphere of influence. So in some way, you have influence and leadership, even in a small way, in, in your life, in your job, in your family, wherever. So this is definitely applied on a personal level, but it's so enormous in how it works um, that it is absolutely the dominant spirit that, that is attacking the bride today. Um, I want to give, well, I want to preface it by saying one thing, and then I'm going to give a warning. Um, ignition, we are not the only church. We're part of the remnant, and God is raising up other people. Whoa, I'm used to my platform, or my uh, thing. I'm so old school. I, I have my heavy-duty Bible. I'm going to put this under my, under my arm, unless you want to grab my podium. But um, um, thank you. She's so great. She's always right there. Um, ignition has a huge calling. And to move forward, one of the things, one of the distinguishing marks of the remnant is the purity of the church that God wants. Okay, he wants a pure part of the bride that is willing to let him be in the driver's seat. And so, again, it's not just ignition, but speaking for ignition, this, this remnant we cannot move forward with impurities that we are, as was just read in Revelation 2, that we are tolerating. And another word for the word tolerate is swallow. And thank you. I'm going to, I'll take that. Thank you. Um, I'll, I'll open this if you want to put that off to the side. Since we're not online, we can be a little bit 
all over the place here, yeah. I have, my podium is welded, <laughs> so it cannot go down uh, in certain spots, so my, it'll hold all my heavy books and Bibles. Um, but I'm so thankful when God, as Greg mentioned earlier, when God reveals a, a particular strategy that the enemy has, that it comes against um, us individually and then us as a church so that we can stay pure. Isn't it our desire to be pure? We want to stay pure. We want to be able to walk in God's commands and in his will and in his plans. Like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, when you trust in the Lord with all of your heart, you don't lean on your own understanding, but in every single way, all of your ways, you acknowledge him and him alone. Then he gets a chance to direct your path. Okay. If you take that verse and, and piece by piece run it backwards, not acknowledging him, not trusting him with all your heart, he will not be guiding your steps because you'll be guiding your steps. And then you lose the purity in your life and then as a, as a, as a church. So this is um, by no means random, this particular subject matter this morning. This is because God is teaching us on two different levels. Ignition Church needs to deal with this. And then he's also training us to recognize this and to be able to know it for future times. Because Satan's strategies, um, while, we, while we're not to be ignorant of his devices, we will never in our own flesh be able to know what he does. We, we you know, I, the verse I even just quoted this morning for, um, for the ladies' class, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Because in and of ourselves, we'll never know the strategies. But when you begin, when the Lord begins to reveal you, to you the strategies of the enemy coming against you, you recognize that it's just the same old dirty tricks in different packages. But I do believe that he wants us to understand the workings of the Jezebel spirit because where he is taking us and what he is about to unlock and the falling of his spirit that he has promised us since we started, he wants to do that and open the floodgates with a pure church. And if we swallow things that are not of him, if we tolerate things, we're not ready. It literally hinders our ability to be ready if we tolerate things that are not of God. That's not a church we want to be. So he, he in his grace and in his mercy, highlights these things so that we can be aware of them to purge them out. Because that's, that's a good thing. Now the warning is, when we get into some of the attributes of the workings of this spirit... It's really important not to begin to form a judgment on any one person that you see this working in. Because, see, everyone is in a different place in their walk with the Lord. And um, to have different trouble issues, and, and the, again, you know, Satan wants to work with the flesh, the sinful flesh, you'll notice, even in your own life, and certainly in people around you, where certain aspects of this uh, the workings of this spirit are at play. That does not mean that you turn around and call everybody a Jezebel spirit. And that's why when he said you get 10 different answers from 10 different Christians, do you know there is a philosophy out there that even believes that a woman standing behind a, po a pulpit in a church is, has an automatic Jezebel spirit because she's not to speak in the church. So you get a lot of different um, philosophies regarding that, but, but you have to be careful because um, 
there is a biblical definition. And the revelation to Jezebel is not identical. It's not the same Jezebel in 1 Kings, which I want to take you there. 1 Kings 16, starting in verse 32. Let's go there because I want to introduce to you just the Old Testament Jezebel really briefly, the wife of Ahab that um, that we know. And and again, the spirit sh- is, is has gotten its name because of these two um, or really because of this, this Old Testament Jezebel in the form of a human being. But the way that Satan worked through her is really how she gets her name. And any other spirit gets the name from how they function in the armies of Satan. Okay. But in first, or in first Kings 16, you see here, uh, in starting in verse 29, and I'm actually going to be in the King James, um, just because I, I have a dual, dual Bible, King James and New Living. But it says in verse 29, 1 Kings 16, And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king um, of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned in his, over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And this is the sad, sad, sad verse that is all too often how these spirits gain greater authority. It says, And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. So it's like it wasn't enough for him to just be walking in the sinful ways of Jeroboam before him. But because of that, because he was walking in these sins, he took it a step further. And that is how sin works in your life. You give authority, and it's only an open door to more authority. Because Satan's ultimate goal for every believer and everything that is not of God is to completely, that is uh, attempting to be um, really in existence, quite frankly, because God created everything, but is to completely kill, steal, and destroy. And the greatest deception the bride is under is to not understand the severity of Satan's plans for us. Now, I'll uh, mention one other verse here, just right underneath it. And he, verse 32, and he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, verse 33, And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. If you know anything about, um, and it's not just in the word of God, it's actually in other historical um, books. But the way that the Baal, the demonic God of Baal was worshipped was so vile and so horrible. When, When a king would set up an altar for Baal, the things that would be done on that altar are so evil, so wicked. They would sacrifice their own children. The, the sexual debauchery, the, the evils are things you don't even want to have a, an idea even would exist. And I mean, it's, it's evil of every level. And so when you're talking about the workings of, of a spirit and the agenda and the goal of a spirit, it is always completely evil. Now, in order to be able to identify these things and have discernment and wisdom in spiritual warfare, you have to come from a place of knowing who you are 
in Christ Jesus. Because with that kind of understanding and, and knowing that as a child of God, you are armed with everything needed and every excess of power from the Holy Spirit residing within you, you do not need to walk in fear. And part of the reason why I think discernment has been lacking in the bride is because if you only know of the way that Satan works and the little bit that you find out kind of freaks you out, you're going to be more freaked out if you're not, if you're not also anchored in the power and in the love and in the authority that you have in Christ Jesus. See, when you don't know your authority, when you don't know your identity in Christ, you, you, you feel like you, you're deceived to where you think you have nothing to take on this enemy. So you end up in this terrible, lukewarm place where you not only have no identity, but you have no power as the enemy comes against you. And you really become a casualty of all the attacks that come against you because Satan isn't taking anything into consideration. He is the ultimate kick you when you're down, um, you know, entity. And it's really, um, it's really sad where the church has found itself. And um, part of the reason as well that, that Thyatira was so, um, so scolded and reprimanded for this is because to tolerate th- uh, this spirit was that they were dulled to really doing things God's way in a sold out way. If you are not passionate and single eyed for God, like Matthew 6 talks about, which he just referred to, you can't serve God and money. The verse before that is about having a single eye that is full of light because if it isn't, then it will be full of darkness. It's just not one or the other. And it's so important that we understand that that passion and that desperation has to be there because if you, if you let yourself get dulled, even in those early little, oh, that's no big deal. That's no big deal. You begin to let in little tiny authorities. Um, and so where, where people are in their walk, you may see spirits at work in certain areas. You may recognize how the spirit works. You might recognize these things in your own life. But having an issue or a struggle with one of these ways that it works is not the full manifestation of how the Jezebel spirit works. Because there's a difference between having an issue or a struggle um, versus having a full-on focused agenda that is taken over. Now, getting back to wherefore let him that thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Any one of us, given enough authority to Satan and his kingdom, can be overtaken by any of his kingdom. Don't think you stand in anything apart from total surrender and total letting God be the Lord of your life or take heed lest you fall, okay? Because it is not, we cannot walk in and of ourselves in any kind of purity, righteousness, surely not power apart from God. So that's a, that's a really important thing. That was sobering to me as I look at this, but as I also look at where would I be with my dirty, nasty flesh apart from God? And apart from his spirit taking over daily through my yes, through my daily repentance and surrender, being crucifying in my flesh. And, uh, and again, the other reason the, the bride has, has lost some of it and become dull is because if, if, you, if we are not going to be a church where repentance, regular repentance, which is just regular surrender, it's regular saying yes to God, no to Satan. That's repentance. It's a mind change. It's a turning away. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I repent daily of my sinful flesh. When repentance leaves the church, every evil work enters. So it's really a dangerous place to be. And the church has gotten away from that, the bride. But again, apply this individually as well as corporately. 
And interrupt anytime you want, okay? Because we're doing this in tandem today. Um, okay. So don't take these traits and apply them to any one person. What I want you to understand about the Jezebel is that it is, an, it is about an agenda, okay? An agenda that it gets more and more focused as authorities are given, okay? So um, one of the things is that it has a heavy, heavy desire for control. Now, the control is one of the things where probably not, not one of us in this room wouldn't say from time, nobody likes to be out of control. We all have an issue with control because our flesh is our flesh and, and there's a struggle with that. I hear many people say, oh, I got control issues. Most of us, from, from the time you see a little kid in the nursery, they're going to have an issue with control. That's not what I'm talking about. And you do need to surrender that. that. That is a serious thing and it does need to be surrendered, but it is not the identification of a Jezebel spirit. We have to give our control over. That is what our yes is. It's saying, God, not my will, my control, but yours be done. Um, but this, a Jezebel spirit has an absolute focused laser agenda for control. And that is why it seeks influence. It seeks to to um, go after and be influence in place of the influence that you have. It will always seek greater positions of authority and greater positions of influence. So you'll notice, um, we hear the phrase kind of thrown around in the bride today, uh, new level, new devil. It's because when you get an opportunity that is an opportunity of influence, you will notice things will come against you more because this spirit is looking to take your influence and hijack it so that it has it's not influenced in the right way. And I'm talking about if you have a godly opportunity for a godly influence. And every every believer does. Wherever you are, you take the Holy Spirit. You host the Holy Spirit and take that influence into every part of your life, but certainly the church. And so it's after your influence. It hates godly authority. Hates all authority. But it hates godly authority. And I mean hates. Now again, this isn't, these aren't things that are going to be overtly noticed where it's just, it's manifested and you see somebody walking around with just hate all over. No. But when you see in the spirit, you will see that. You'll see that seething, drooling, sharp-toothed wolf under the sheep's clothing. See, the, the natural man only sees the sheep's clothing. The spirit man, discerned by the Holy Spirit of God, sees the wolf. So it's not like it is that difficult to discern, but it's not discerned. We cannot take the things of our natural man and try to discern the things of God. It doesn't happen. It has to happen with the spirit man. And that's where believers have to walk in the spirit. Man, give yourself a good, long, hard look again at Romans 8. Because Romans 8 is all about that walking in the spirit. I would really recommend 6, 7, and 8 because it's like a package deal there. But anyway, so it hates authority. You'll also find it, it is, and, and this is the resistance. Whenever you find, and this is true of ourselves, we have to, we have to do a check. If you ever find yourself resisting or put off when there's an atmosphere of worship, something's off. Because the Spirit of God loves worshiping God. The Spirit of God knows it's in, in connection with God. And so this Jezebel spirit hates worship, hates prophets and it hates spiritual warfare when it finds out 
that somebody's becoming privy to spiritual warfare, you begin to see a, 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 a unique freak out of sorts from the person that you're dealing with, depending on how much this has taken over their life. So there is an interesting, it can be in a series of uh, agitation or I don't feel good or I'm, I'm pacing and I'm, you know, this, I, this, this absolute calm, spirit-filled place of worship is not that Jezebel spirit wants no part of that. So it's, it's something that you start to see. Now, again, you've got to open your eyes and be able to see. But I'm, ta- I'm not talking human eyes. The human eyes will sometimes see it when it becomes overtly obvious. It's those spirit eyes. Your spirit man has the senses in the spirit just like the human does, okay? The human, human side of us. And God is, God is a spirit and he wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. So that's what we need to access and, and make sure that we're discerning through. Now, it also is all about an agenda of tearing down, but often and most often through support, friendship, and giving with an agenda beneath to undermine, to tear down, to disrupt, to cause dissension, to cause doubt, to, I mean, I was saying this to the ladies downstairs. Satan, you'll see it in scripture often. When Jesus was tempted by Satan directly, what did he use? He used scripture. And the most precious scripture that I love so dearly of Psalm 91, the very promise of our protection, he took Psalm 91 and challenged him with it. If there are angels that will bear thee up in your hands, why don't you call on them? You won't dash your foot against a stone. He used God's very words to come and pull Satan away. When Paul and Silas were dealing with a demonically possessed woman, you know, when you look at scripture on its face, you're like, oh, well, you know, they saw a demon possessed girl, so they just knew it. They didn't know it. For many days, they didn't know it. Paul was getting a little weird feeling, because this is a girl that, she was in the group with, oh, this is awesome. They are the servants of the Most High God. Well, oh, we're, I want to support them. This is awesome. You guys are wonderful. She might have even just been praising Jesus all around them. Paul knew something's wrong. Something's not right. He, he was annoyed. He was annoyed. His spirit did not bear witness with her spirit. And when the God opened his eyes, he spoke to the spirit and told it to leave. Yeah. Well, the reason why there was such an outcry after that is because this girl was used to keep the deception there that their God that the God that they were involved with is the same God as Paul and Silas. So it's essentially like a faction of what seemed like the church was coming against the remnant, if you really want to look at it that way in, in Scripture, where that's why they were beaten. Because you just think, what did he, he just kill? You know, he just uh, cast out a demon out of a, out of a you know, single demon-possessed girl, and okay, so the guys couldn't make any money anymore. What, what's with the beating and throwing them in prison? I mean, it seems like it's a little, you know, little bit drastic of a punishment for that but it's not it's because the warfare satan literally raged in an unusual unnatural uproar to come against them because the shift that was taking place was the true god it was like the the elijah and the prophets of Baal. i mean it was like paul and silas were there to preach the true god the true holy spirit we're not we're not messing around with this false god and when they discerned that and got rid of that power, 
Satan flipped out, yeah. which is exactly what Greg was referring to. So this is um, something that will slither in, and and oftentimes it's the most has the most godly presentation. Now, it's very important when you begin to learn these attributes. That in your natural man, you don't just look around, well, then how can I know if I can trust anybody? I mean, everybody's, you know, everybody loves to, you know, encourage me with scripture. How do we, maybe they're a Jezebel, maybe they're a Jezebel. First of all, if there's any reaction at all with the spirit of fear, check, not of God. Not of God. God has given us everything we need to walk in his authority with the power of the Holy Spirit. If we ask for bread, will he give us a stone? No. He will guide you and lead you. If you have a pure heart, if your heart is panicked and you just need something to make you feel better because you're starting to freak out and, oh my goodness, everybody around me is Jezebel and what am I going to do? That's not a pure heart. That's a desperation to feel like you're in your comfort zone again and you're not, you're not out of place. God can't, he could help anything, but he's limited helping that because the false motive is there. The premise of our help needs to be God. You are king. I want you. I want the purity of you alone. So help me. Help me to not be deceived. And then trust him. Trust him that you will not be deceived. Trust him that he makes a way. He always makes a way to escape when we face temptation, even the temptation to freak out. He makes a way. So that's something we have to trust. Now, the twisting of the truth is... Something that we do have to be careful. If you ever discern or sense that somebody has a lot of the characteristics of a Jezebel, first of all, you don't go immediately to them in a confrontation. Always take it to the Lord. Always take it to the Lord and just say, Lord, give me and and ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me confirmation on this because we need to be certain that what we're dealing with is that because you don't want to start naming names uh, and, and giving, you know, shooting titles that this person has this spirit, this person has that spirit. But, but if you are, become concerned about that, then go to the Lord. He will, he will make it clear to you how to deal with that. But we cannot and you cannot be a person that tolerates that spirit. So what do you do if somebody is in proximity to them? Well, Greg just read in Revelation 2. God always, in his love for people struggling with even for witches, he gives them that opportunity to repent. Okay? He gives them that opportunity. That is his love and his mercy. But not only now because of the line being drawn in the sand, but also just because there does come a time when that person says no and that's it. They have made their choice. We have to be careful that even though we love a person and we want to see them, we want to see them, turn from their wicked ways and choose God that we don't take on the role of the Holy Spirit and become an unintentional enabler to behavior that's only going to affect us. See, if you step in, see what happens, I want you to picture it like this. Psalm 91, the very first verse. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High gets to abide, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And we said this downstairs, but as soon, even with the best intentions, and God knows our heart, but we still have to be careful to do things his way. And the example about the building was a great example because God knew his heart was pure, but it still has to be God's way. 
okay? If you step outside of the shadow, okay, the shadow of, of his shelter, okay, you can get burned no matter how good your intentions are. And there are times when we pray and, and we war for people, when they are deciding they no longer want it, you cannot because of, well, but, 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 they, but they really, sh- but I know, God, that you want this. Get on your knees and war for them in the secret place. Don't step outside of his shadow in your flesh to try to manipulate circumstances, to try to draw them in because you can't handle their decision. Because when it comes right down to it, when we're in our flesh, it's because we need this situation fixed because it makes me feel better. Not that we don't care about them. We really care about them too. But, but when you start caring for them in a desperate way that's not within the will of God, it does become fleshly pride. It's weird. It's sneaky. Because to think that you could love somebody and want something for them more than what God wants for them, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is God's will. That is what he desires. But he gives us free will. And so our job is to walk in obedience. And when they've made their choice, we have got to give them to God. Staying in that secret place. And so there are times when certain relationships have to have boundaries, which Greg will get into in a minute. But where you have to say, I love them. I will never stop warring in the secret place for them. But there is nothing more I can do for them that won't infect me because of their unwillingness to go to the Lord. Okay? Now, another little trait of the Jezebel spirit is that they will always, in this twisting of the truth, especially when you're seeking God with your whole heart, oftentimes this person will make you feel the most like you are wrong when you're seeking God passionately than at any other time. They have a way of twisting things to make you somehow be at fault. Well, that's not very loving. Well, that's not how a brother treats a a Christian brother. Well, that's not a godly response, you know. And I mean, mean, all you have to do is look a little bit through the Gospels at how the Pharisees reacted to Jesus. I mean, just to the point where right after he heals the the leprous hand, the guy's leprous, he pulls his arm out, it's perfectly healed. Their only reaction was, he did that on the Sabbath. They lost the whole point of the whole thing is that it's a miracle. And they were so bent on being right that they lost the miracle and they could only see the criticism of what didn't fit into their box because they were so threatened by the power that he walked with. When you begin to follow God with a passion in your heart and a passion in your life and you become single-eyed for God, any Jezebel spirit attempting to come in to your proximity will twist that into somehow mistreating them, disrupting their life, neglecting them, or not being there for them in a human relationship. You will see it every time. And it's very, very easy to get caught in that snare of the fowler, the King James says in Psalm 91, and not recognize it. But you've got to be able to discern and and apply, really apply Ephesians 6.12, where we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers and all of the realms of Satan's kingdom, that's who we wrestle with, but not necessarily against that person. You've got to be able to see with your spirit man, your spirit eyes, what you're actually dealing with, because the Jezebel spirit is a heavy, heavy, heavy spirit of manipulation. 
It will manipulate on all levels. And when it cannot control, it will destroy. When it cannot control you, it will begin to destroy you. Now, some of us have experienced that with a friendship gone bad that turned out to be not just a loss of a friendship, but of a number one focused, I mean, passionate enemy seeking to just unleash hell in your life. Somebody, not everybody's experienced that, but if you've ever had a relationship turn and you're like overnight, it's like, wow, we're not even maybe not in a relationship anymore, but now they seem to be having it be the focus of their life to, you know, pray for my demise. Okay. That would be an indication of a Jezebel spirit that didn't get its way. It is the ultimate demonic tantrum Mm -hmm. and it has a fit in the church. And when it's beginning to be exposed you begin to see a, a bizarre manifestation of a freak out because it can't have its way anymore. Now, God often, and he's been so gracious to ignition to let us know much earlier than a lot of churches when it infiltrates to the point where there is literal collateral damage that all has to be restored um, because of the workings of this spirit that was that went undetected. And that's where... Uh, as we give God our yes, you know, he protects us. He, he lets us see and discern before things come. He, he lets, see, when, when, you, when you stay in that, and, and I would just so encourage you to look at Psalm 91. Let's look at it really quick, just real quick. Because it's just, it's something that is, is a beautiful promise, especially when you get freaked out by some of these uh, traits of this agenda. And, uh, and if you've not memorized this yet, I would encourage you, whatever translation is uh, more palatable. I memorized it in the King James. I know Brooke memorized it in the uh, N- is it NIV, New Living. It's a fantastic chapter to know. But I love uh, when it says he will, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'll give it to you in the New Living because this is just a, a, an easy one. But it's, he alone is my refuge, verse 2. Okay, he is my place of safety. He's going to rescue you from every trap, verse 3 which that's where the snare of the fowler comes in. It's a trap. He protects you from the fatal plague, an infection that can be fatal if it's allowed to just run rampant. Satan is not happy to just mess with you. That is not his goal. It starts with messing with you so that he can keep you deceived and he can keep you thinking that he's not so bad. I mean, you know, what, what's the point of being so desperate for God? I mean, I'm here, right? I go to church. I'm, you know, I'm, doing my, I'm doing my thing. You know, I mean, I certainly pray when I need God. But this whole desperate, this whole kind of like these kind of Jesus freaks that are just, that's who we are. I know I'm preaching to the choir. But people that have said that to you, you know, you're like, they, people that, that just think that this whole desperation and passion, what? wait and look in the face of darkness, and it'll ignite your passion really quickly. Or... Wait and look in the glory of the Lord and what you can experience. One or the other always lets you see that you better be desperate for God. Because a lack of desperation for God takes you just enough outside of that shadow. And, you know, we think if we kind of are near the shadow that we can exist for a while, maybe we don't get too badly burned. Not anymore, by the way. The line in the sand is here. And people that have been lukewarm... God is beginning to spew them out. He is beginning to say, look, you are for me or you are against me. And you will no longer, because I love you, I will no longer allow you to stay deceived just a stone's throw outside of my shadow. 
I'm either pulling you in or you're going to be left out. If you keep running from my security detail, you are prey to the bullets flying all around you and the arrows and the plagues and the diseases and all the things that are coming against you. He will shelter you with his feathers, verse 4. Love that, love that. Oh, the first time when Greg went to Africa and we were all in a circle. And uh, no, maybe it was even Ghana. I think it was Ghana. It was early on. We, Tuesday nights, we just had a little prayer circle. And and uh, I just, I don't know. It was just a weary, just we were just battle weary. And, and all of a sudden, Yvonne, you know, she, she just comes over to me and she had this big white feather. And she just, she said, Mom, where did this come from? And I immediately knew that that was just from the Lord, that he just dropped it right in my plate. So I went, and I just burst out crying. It was really wonderful. <laughs> but it was just such a sweet time. God just reminded me, look, no matter what, seek me, and I'm covering you with my feathers. And from time to time, he gives you a little physical manifestation of that to hold on to, that I really believe uh, is that reminder to our humanity. Um, and, and it's a beautiful thing. But he will make, uh, let's skip to, to verse 9. Oh, no, 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 no. This is so good. This is so good. Number five, verse five. Don't be afraid of the terrors by night, nor for, well, I'm, I'm back and forth because it's just coming out of my mind with memory, but in the New Living, it says, nor fear the dangers of the day, nor dread, verse six, the plague that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, all these evils will not touch you but you will be able to see it with your eyes. And I love in the new and the King James says, only with thine eye shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Don't be dismayed. As Greg just said, if I could reiterate it with the Psalm 91 context, the people that will come against you that perhaps will seem like they're, they're dropping like flies in, in, uh, in their decision. Don't be dismayed by that because by the way, it doesn't have to be. God's mercy and grace never ends. It doesn't have to be forever. They may drop for a time. There are pastors. I just spoke, ran into a, a previous pastor friend of mine that, that was saying he's preaching at a couple of churches. And he said, man, his pastors are, he's, I, he knows so many of them. He has a printing business that still does gives materials and provides materials to various churches. And he said, he said, I'm hearing about pastors every day that are quitting that are just given up. They're just totally given up. And one pastor that he was preaching for, he said, he's this close. And there are various reasons for that, but it doesn't have to be forever. You know, God, God can take some people down and out. I feel like my opportunity was when God took me out of my previous ministry and I had a choice to make. I could have, I was, it was very discouraging. I felt very hurt. I was very confused, even though I was following what I knew the Lord wanted me to do. I didn't expect it to be so difficult and so challenging. And if I had not placed those hurts, in the Lord's hands. It would have been devastating for me. But in his mercy and in his love, he restores, he redeems. He always restores our soul. So if you have wounds in your soul that you have not given to God, that is an open door for some of these demonic spirits, especially the Jezebel spirit. If you look at, again, just really quickly going back to, to Baal, Jezebel was the daughter of of a wicked, wicked, wicked uh, man that that was a major uh, server of Baal, a prophet of Baal, and you've got it. If you look and study how they they did their evil practices, no doubt from from birth she was probably severely sexually abused. 
So you talk about trauma that was part of her being. She probably, her identity was so distorted and messed up that there were multiple opportunities for demons to just completely rage within her and, and give her the makeup that, that she has. So if you ever see a Jezebel spirit in its maturity in a person functioning with, with all of the character traits, um, oftentimes it is because there is a wounded soul that did not deal with it with the Lord and it was just give it, it just gave authority to another authority to another authority. And that's why it's very, very, very dangerous when you, um, when you experience a hurt if it is not surrendered. You know, we think about surrendering our sin. We need to surrender our hurts and our wounds because trauma is a huge open door for the enemy to enter. And so we've got to give God our hurts. He is there. He is the God of all comfort. He wants to redeem and restore our soul. So that when we walk in that difficult, dark valley of the shadow of death, he is, he is there with us. Everything will, will, you know, his rod and his staff that comforts us, um, which you know the 23rd Psalms. It's so good. But I just want to encourage you, um, um, there are, there's a lot more to this and, um, we're going to give you a couple of resources. But for sake of time, I wanted you to move forward into why we're identifying it today and why the Lord brought it to us today. And then if I think of anything I need to add, I'll do that. So why don't you come? Yeah, and you, you can mention the resource of that oh, okay. right now. Um, we won't play it. Then. Why don't I give this to you? No, we... Um, <laughs> I you probably figured that out. I knew before we started. Okay, yeah, so did I. Okay, that's so cool. See, when God talks to, to us together, we kind of know. We can read each other's minds. Through His Spirit. Um, there is a resource that really we were back and forth on. Do we want to play it for you today? But it's one of a, of a I think, a four-part series that she does. Her name is Karen Orlando. And she, uh, is a, she is a pastor. Her and her husband are in ministry together. But in, interestingly enough, she is the pastor. And he actually works a lay job and whatever your thoughts are on that. Um, this teaching is sound in this, uh, this study. And um, God has just kind of introduced her to me. I don't even know where she's based, although I can hear the Jersey accent in her uh, in the way she talks. So, I, but I don't know where their actual church is. But she, God led her to do an in-depth study on the Jezebel spirit. So her name is uh, Karen Orlando. I would, I would do uh, if you Google it. It's a YouTube message, and it's uh, Karen Orlando unmasking the Jezebel spirit. Now there are books on the same subject. But if you do Karen Orlando Jezebel Spirit YouTube, it will pull it up or just even Karen Orlando YouTube. You'll see which messages of her, for hers are uh, the Jezebel Spirit. I do want you to, to encourage you to listen to these messages. She goes into a lot more depth. Um, even, you know, Greg was saying about the effects, even in the issue of the effects, it's very interesting. Freak illnesses, freak accidents, um, many, many things of total destruction uh, that are linked to the effects of the Jezebel spirit. And, uh, and again, God in his grace and in his mercy is protecting um, this church to discern it early. Although I know I've even heard stories from some of you that know that this particular spirit has come against you even in your family. And why? See, if Satan has access to even any parts of our books and knows the influence that we carry, he will seek to hijack, hijack that. And it's very important, too, to understand. I just want to kind of end with this. Um, part of the way that, well, it is the whole way that Satan works. You know, when you look at the, the rankings of the demonic, uh, the structure of Satan's kingdom, none of his kingdom is unique to him. It is a counterfeit 
of God. God created. He was the, the supreme creator of all things. And so whatever Satan has in his rankings is that he just counterfeited God in terms of that. But his demons work in synergy and in unity. And that is why, and they understand the power in their working in unity. That is why they come against, Satan comes against unity in the bride almost more than anything else. Because disunity breaks down power and influence. When there's unity, there is great power. And so he wants to break apart the bride into various factions of disagreement, denominations, and the like in order to keep us all, because part of his, his strategy is isolation. When you're isolated, you don't have intercessors, you don't have that, that uh, coming together as a corporate, you know, united strength before the throne of God, where things get done. That's where it gets done. So it's really um, something that you need to understand. And also, if you are not worshiping God in spirit and in truth, don't be deceived to not think that demons don't know the word of God. Sadly, sadly, they know the word of God better than most Christians. We've got to know the word. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But because they know the word, they will know how to twist it. So if we don't know the word illuminated by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the source of wisdom and revelation, then we will not be able to stand against the twisting false uh, things that come against us in, in uh, you know, a dilution or a distortion of the truth. you got to know the truth. But not again, not so much in your natural man. Because when I used to hear that growing up, I was like, but I'm not a good student. I never did that great. When it, in the spirit. God, I never, it's laughable that I'm teaching the word of God because the last thing I thought I would be as a teacher when I was not, you know, I was an average student. But when God reveals it, that's the wisdom. It's not the wisdom of the world. It's the wisdom of God that, that comes upon you. Sorry, I keep messing with the mic. But um, so, so we, we, need to be, we need to be really understanding. We, we have everything we need. We are armed, but we have to apply it and we have to operate in it and walk in it. And, and there's no reason why this has to overtake us. So go ahead. Yeah, the only thing that I want to add to that is um, this idea that the Jezebel spirit is a very slow-working spirit, okay? It, it's not one that shows up and, hi, I'm here, you know, it's me, Jezebel. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's not something that you're going to notice immediately, Right? And, and even, even if you do notice certain things immediately, it's, it's, this, this spirit and the strategy of Satan through this spirit is very cunning and, and very slow moving. Okay? Because his strategy is far beyond a quick impact. Right? His strategy overall was, think about it, his strategy in the first half of the Word of God in the Old Testament was to keep Christ from coming in the first place, right? Becoming a man, because he knew he would. Once Jesus came, died on the cross, because as Alex said, he couldn't do anything while Jesus was here, even though he used scripture, twisted scripture, to try and get Jesus to rely on his own, uh, you know, Godhead, okay, while he was a man. But once he died and rose from the grave and is at the right hand of the Father, now all Satan can do, he, he can't stop that. It's already been done. What he wants to stop is the furtherance of that 
It is literally, certainly, anybody accepting Christ. But I don't even think Satan minds when people accept Christ. I think what he really minds is when we become unified. Because we've never been. I mean, that scares him to death. Why? Because he's read the end of the book. (laughs) He knows what's going to happen. And when the reading of the bride, it's like that's the point of countdown for him. When that bride is readied and the Lord comes and takes his bride, that's the countdown for him. It's, it's, that is the beginning of the end for him. So, so recognize that his strategy is to permeate with reason, to permeate in a place where it's unrecognizable. Okay, that's why it's so easy for him to get in the church. And that's why money being a, a key thing that churches worry about make it so easy for him to get in. You know, think about it. The two things for a church that's the hardest thing to deal with, money and volunteers. The two things the church needs, right? Money and volunteers. It's like pulling teeth to get money, pulling teeth to get volunteers, Satan knows that. So what this spirit is going to do is come in and be excited about getting involved. Be excited about, in, in some ways, providing money. Okay, we, we've been part of churches where, where there were people that would give a lot of money and expect that control because of it. Well, I'm giving this because I expect decisions to be made my way. You know, And we, we've all seen that. So recognize that this spirit works slowly. And um, I'm going to pray because we're, we're going to finish out right now just this part. And then we're going to continue on with something that's an internal matter here. But, but I want to pray so we could close out the podcast for those who will listen online later. Father, we worship you and praise you. And Lord, we thank you for discernment that you give us against this spirit, this church killer. And God, I pray as I pray, as we we pray every night on the prayer call, I pray exposure. Expose, expose, expose. Expose the Jezebel spirit in every church. In every church that has tried to take down the pastor or the leadership or the, the music leader, we've seen it time and time again. Expose, Father. Expose at levels where they've not gained authority yet. And, and Father, I, I pray for that for the entire bride, but I specifically pray for ignition, as we do every night. Bring exposure, Father. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.